we'd love for you to stay and picnic with us. It's, gonna, it's an awesome day outside. We'd love to have you. Uh, next week, again, we're moving to Green Bay Community Church. We're an hour earlier at 930. I'd encourage you guys to invite your friends to come. It's an enormous chapel. Uh, and so please invite your friends to come. It's a good chance. I know people like to go when something's new. And so feel free to invite your friends. Next week, we're also going to be starting a new series. Uh, the series is going to be on the book of Galatians, and it's going to be called Freedom from Religion. And the reason why we're going to be talking about this is because in America, religion is one of the things that keeps people furthest away from Jesus many times. You get involved in all the rituals and all the do's and all the don'ts, and Jesus just becomes a taskmaster that you have to please. And, and so we're going to be talking through the book of Galatians, um, what it means to be free from religion. Galatians 5 says it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And so we're going to explore that over the next 12 or so weeks. So come back and join us for that. Last week I had shared with you about one of my friends who, uh, who I grew up with and how we went to a school and had a hot air balloon ride and, and all that jazz, which was pretty exciting. If you didn't hear the story, I'll tell you at the picnic. But, um, but I had another friend named Justin in high school who I started hanging out with. And I would go over to his house just about every day after school, and we would play basketball. He lived behind me, and so I'd just cross a creek, go over, and we'd shoot hoops until literally we couldn't walk. And I remember one day we decided that uh, we would try to convince Justin, me and my other friends, to put gasoline in his bird feeder and, uh, or bird bath and, and start it on fire. And so Justin went over, and he put gasoline in there, not a whole lot, but a little bit, <laughs> and he started the thing on fire, and the thing just exploded, and there was smoke billowing. Uh, there was, what was really entertaining is that he was on the edge of a wooded area, and there was a tree hanging over it, and so we were a little bit scared, but Justin ran and got his fire extinguisher, brought it out, blew out the, uh, the fire, but the, uh, the, the, bird, the bird bath was completely black on the top, the tree hanging over it, uh, many of the branches were singed, and it was black too. And we just took off and went home and let, his, let him face the music with his parents. And so, um, but one, a, a few months later in the summer, I, I went over to Justin's house again. And usually we just stayed outside and played basketball. But this day he invited me to come inside. And I, I wasn't quite sure why. But I went inside, and as I walked in, there was him and his neighbor, Jimmy Lee was his name, and his brother. And they had this crazy music going on. I can't remember exactly what it was, something like Beastie Boys or something. And they grabbed these wiffle ball bats, and they started to, to hit me with them just over and over and over again. And they were laughing, and I'm still scarred to this day, but they, they were hitting me. And I remember running out just crying, like, what just happened? And I, and I ran home. And to be honest with you, th it didn't really hurt um, their wiffle ball bats, but I just felt so betrayed. I mean, this was one of my best friends. And he and one of his other friends ganged up and just decided they were going to start beating me. Just felt really betrayed. I think all of you have probably felt betrayal at some time in your life, probably by those who are closest to you, whether it be a spouse or a mother or a father or a relative. And what we're going to see today is Jesus knows exactly how you feel. Uh, Jesus knows what betrayal feels like. 
So if you would, open up to John chapter 18. We're going to start there. It's in page 904 of your Red Bible, page 904. And uh, as you turn there, I just want to give you a little bit of background on who Peter is, because this is kind of, we're going to be looking at much of Peter's life. Peter was maybe Jesus's closest disciple, maybe one of Jesus's best friends on this earth. He was, when you look through the Bible and you see the list of the 12 disciples, Peter is usually listed first. He was in Jesus's inner group of three men. Uh, He was one that would boldly confess Jesus as the Christ over and over again. And at the Last Supper, a week before Jesus died, I'm sorry, not a week, a few days before Jesus died, uh, Peter says to Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. He says, though all may fall away for you, I will never fall away. He says, Jesus, I am with you through thick and thin. I would die for you, man. I mean, we, I think we all would like friends like that, wouldn't we? Who would do anything for us, who would go to bat for us, who would stay with us no matter what happens. But friends often betray us. Friends often abandon us. And this is what Peter did here. And so if you would, read with me. Uh, we're going to start John. We're going to read chapter 18, verse 15 through 17. And then we're going to skip down to verse 25 through 27. And this isn't actually the text I'm preaching on today, but it will help us understand what we're going to do. So let's start Mark 18, verse 15 through 17. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Let me back up just a little bit. This is after Jesus has been betrayed. He's handed into the authorities, and they're taking him to take him to trial. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, which was John, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl, who kept watch at the door, and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Skip down to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. And so what you see is that Peter had promised to Jesus, I will stick by your side through thick and thin. And yet not many hours later, Peter was denying that he even knew Jesus. He had betrayed the very Jesus, the very Christ, the very God that he had pledged his allegiance to. And while we can identify ourselves with Jesus and we can understand what it feels like to be betrayed by a mother, by a father, by a good friend, we need to identify ourselves today with Peter because just as Jesus has betrayed, just as, excuse me, just as Peter has betrayed Jesus, we too in our hearts betray Christ when we sin. We betray him because he is the Lord of our lives. He is our savior. And yet when we run to anger, when we run to malice, when we run to lust, when we run to, to alcohol, we're running to other saviors and we're betraying him. And yet what's really awesome is that what we'll see today is that Jesus gives restoration to us. We have pledged allegiance to him. We have betrayed him. And he offers restoration to you and to me. I don't know about you, but, well, well, let me put it this way. I was watching a movie called The Box. 
probably one of the worst, scariest movies I've ever seen. I hate horror movies. And the lady defined hell as being completely known. If my heart was completely known, if, if it was put up behind me, you would see how many times, even in a given week, I betrayed Christ as I pursued other things. And so Jesus comes to Peter, who has betrayed him, and it ministers to all of us because he talks about the restoration that he offers to him. So if you would, let's go ahead and we'll read John chapter 21, verse 15 through 19. Uh, it's just one page over in the Red Bible. And this is the text that we're going to look at today. John 21, 15 through 19. And what happens right before this is Jesus comes, he appears to the disciples, he is raised from the dead, he comes and he, he eats breakfast with them. And then he pulls Peter aside, and this is what happens. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, remember Peter had denied him three times, said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he, would, he, would, he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you confessing that in our hearts throughout the week, we betray you frequently with sin. We, we get angry. I know I roll my eyes when I'm frustrated, and I often pursue other things to satisfy me, much like what Tim had talked about today. It's not alcohol, but it's other stuff, God. And yet, Lord, we come today, we come on Sundays, and part of the reason why we come is because we're so desperate for restoration with you. And we praise you that you are a God, that you are a Savior who offers it to us, not because we deserve it, but because you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at what it looks like to be restored to Jesus. What does this restoration with Jesus looks like? And, and we're, what we're going to see is it, it's very much intertwined with love. And so if you have a bulletin, you can open it up and you'll see I sort of I put the outline in there so you guys can follow along. You can take notes if you want. But we'll see that love and restoration are intricately intertwined. And what we're going to look at is that the foundation of restoration is love. The, the fruit of restoration is love. And the finality of restoration is love. The foundation, the fruit, and the finality. And so we'll, let's start with the first one. The foundation of restoration is love. You know, it's said that you only need one person for forgiveness, but you need two people for restoration, right? And I, I think that's true. Uh, you can forgive someone who has sinned against you, someone who has hurt you, but for there to be restoration, there has to be a mutual forgiveness. There has to be a mutual love towards one another. 
And so as we go through these three sort of points about restoration, we're going to look at the love of Peter, and we're going to look at the love of Jesus, okay? Because it takes two people for restoration. So first, in looking at the foundation of restoration being love, let's look at Peter's love. Verse 15, keep your Bibles open if you would. If you haven't been here before, we look back at the Bible a lot and read through it. And so, sorry I didn't mention that to you earlier. But verse 15, he says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. This is such a natural response. Uh, If you have been betrayed, I shouldn't say if, when you have been betrayed, I think the natural question for you to ask is, do you really love me? Because I thought that you did, but you betrayed me. You did something hurtful to me. I thought that you loved me. I thought that we were friends. I thought that we were spouses. I thought that we loved each other. And so Jesus asked this question to Peter, do you love me? A very natural question. And he goes on to say, do you love me more than these? And that's, that's the first time they asked him. He says, do you love me more than these? And so the question is, what is this more than these? What is, what is Jesus talking about? Um, Jesus is not talking about, Peter, do you love me more than you love these fish? <laughs> he, he isn't saying, do you love me more than you love the disciples? What Peter is asking Jesus is, do you love me more than the disciples love me? Do you love me more than the other disciples love me? And the answer Jesus is looking for is not yes. See, what happened a while ago um, at the, at the uh, Last Supper, Peter is sitting there with Jesus, and Jesus is talking about how he's going to the cross. And Peter makes this extremely arrogant statement. He says, though they all fall away, meaning the other disciples, because of you, I will never fall away. I mean, I can imagine the disciples sitting there going, dude, we're right here. What are you saying, right? And he's saying, if they all fall away, Jesus, I will never fall away. And he was so proud and arrogant. I love you more than anyone else does, Jesus. And yet he was the one to portray Jesus. Judas did too, but Peter was close. Peter was really close. Peter was one of his best friends. And he denied Christ. He denied knowing him, having a relationship with him, being a disciple of him. And it was extremely arrogant. And so what what Jesus is asking him is, are you still claiming that you have the superior love, that you you love me more than those other disciples? And you see his response. His response is very simple. He, He no longer compares himself with others. All he says to them is this. He says, where is it here? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. It's not perfect, it's not great, it's not complete, but you know that I love you, as imperfect and messy as that is. He actually uses a a verb here in the Greek, which is a perfect verb for know, that you have known that I've loved you. You know this, truly, that I love you. Later on in the third question, he says, Lord, you know everything, you know that I love you, but it's so extremely unperfect. Recently, I asked some friends, we were sitting down for breakfast, and I asked these men who were Christian men who loved the Lord, do you love Jesus? And we went around the table, and one by one they said, I I do, but not like I should. 
not as much as I would hope to love Jesus. See, this is such an honest answer. And this is really what Jesus was looking for from Peter. He wasn't looking that, yes, Lord, I love you perfectly and without error. But man, I try to love you, Jesus, and I really do. And I mess up sometimes, but I do love you. You know, some of you are here and you have fully committed your life to Jesus Christ. You have said, I surrender to you. You are my Lord and you are my Savior. But none of us love Jesus perfectly. And this is such encouragement. That Jesus comes to Peter and says, I know it's not perfect, but do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I do. If you're like me, your, your love for Jesus uh, can sometimes grow tired, can sometimes grow apathetic, can th- sometimes grow frustrated, you can grow distracted. But Jesus wants love. He doesn't demand perfection, but he loves you too much to leave you in this distracted, apathetic, frustrated love because Jesus wants restoration. And that's why he comes to Peter. And so as we look at this, you know, we said one, one person, you need one person for forgiveness, you need two for reconciliation. We need Jesus to be loving towards Peter as well. And what we'll see here, and it's really kind of implicit in the text, but that friend, if a friend comes to you, if a friend has betrayed you and they have hurt you deeply, do you go to them to seek reconciliation? I don't. Uh, when, when Justin did that with the baseball bat, I mean, he had to, like, court me practically. He was, he was calling me, hey, you want to go play football? I'm like, man, I'm just not sure. I'm still frustrated. You know, we didn't talk about our feelings. But I knew we were good when we started punching each other in the shoulder again. That's how guys communicate, right? I knew that, that our relationship had been restored. But it took a long time to get there because I was so angry and so mad. And what's amazing here is that Jesus pursues Peter. Peter was the one that offended Jesus. Peter was the one that betrayed Jesus. But Jesus pursues Peter. This is such good news. Peter doesn't doesn't pursue Jesus. Matter of fact, Jesus is the one who initiates the conversation. So when, when Jesus shows up to Peter, Peter doesn't say, Lord, I am so sorry for what I've done. Jesus pulls him aside and says, Peter, do you really love me? And he seeks out restoration with Peter. And when you think about it, it's by God's grace that Jesus would even consider Peter. That he would even think twice about going back to him. That he would even think twice about going and loving him. You see, with Justin, I had my own sin. I mean, I, I convinced this guy to torch his, his birdbath and then I ran away, right? And so I had my own sin. Jesus was perfect. And yet he came back to Peter to seek reconciliation because he loved him, because he cared for him. If you're here today and the weight of your sin is on your shoulders... Jesus wants to reconcile with you. He's here asking you, do you love me? Do you care for me? Let me restore you in our relationship. And so we're looking and seeing that, you know what? The foundation of restoration is love. Peter's love for Jesus, but more so Jesus' love for Peter. That Jesus comes to Peter. That Jesus comes to us and says, let's be restored. I'm assuming that some of you I know I come on Sundays for restoration. Weeks are long. Weeks are hard. Weeks are frustrated. I get disappointed in the world. I get disappointed in myself. And then I come here and I'm restored by the good news that Jesus does, in fact, love me. That he does, in fact, care for me. Despite my mistakes. Despite 
my flawed love for him. And so we see that the foundation of restoration is love, but also the fruit of restoration is love. In, uh, in response to John's confession of love, Jesus calls Peter to bear fruit of that restoration. And he says to him three things here. He says to him in verse 15, 16, and 17, after, after Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, he says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. For Peter, the way of bearing fruit was being a pastor. This is what God had called him to do, to, to pastor the flock, to pastor God's people. Peter went on to, to, to plant a church in Antioch, and then he went on to go pastor more in Rome. And so Jesus was saying to him, I want you to bear fruit of this restoration. See, when we're restored with Christ, it affects the way that we love others. It enables us to love others more because we know how much Christ has loved us. And so for Peter, it was simply, he said, I want you to feed and I want you to tend. To, to feed is to feed the people the word of God, to feed them the good news of Jesus Christ. This is why we love the Bible at Jacob's Well. This is why we, we so emphatically want to teach you the Bible, both on Sunday mornings and through community groups. This is the most loving thing I can do for you as your pastor is to proclaim the truth of the word, that I can proclaim to you the good news of Jesus Christ as found in the Bible. This is what Jesus is calling Peter to do and all pastors to do, really. But the other thing he says is, I want you to tend my lambs and my sheep. And very simply, what this means is, I want you to, to govern them. I want you to protect them from false teachers. I want you to care for them, to love them. And honestly, as I read this text, because he is talking about Peter implementing this love as a pastor, it's extremely convicting to me. It's very scary. It's very heavy. Even for any of the leaders of the church that would read this text, it seems like an overwhelming responsibility. And so I would ask you to help me. I would ask you to help us as we seek to feed you the word of God, as we seek to, to tend, to govern, to love, to care for you, to build you up. And the way that you can help us is very simple. Come. Come to church. Come to community group. That's the place that we can really be one-on-one -on -one with you, talk with you face-to-face, -face, see where you're at, see how you're doing. I was talking to a friend this week who has, not by any fault of his own, but he's not been able to be a part of the Christian community, and he's nosedived in many ways. He's struggled with many things because he hasn't been able to be around those that would feed him, that would tend him, that would say, how are you doing, friend? And so come to those things. If you're, if you're thinking about community groups, next week we'll actually have a table out that you can go and sign up for them. Uh, but talk about it with, with, one of your, with your husband or your wife, and I'd encourage you to come and, and be a part of that with us. This summer, we're going to do a study, and I don't know what it is yet we're going to get to. It's going to be a book study, but I'd encourage you, take that step. You may say, but I'm just a lamb. I'm not a sheep. I don't know a whole lot. We'd invite you to come. Whether you're a lamb or a sheep, and that's what he's distinguishing here, whether you're a new Christian or if you're searching, or if you're, if you're a bruised reed who is deeply hurt, or if you're a sheep who has been a Christian for a long time, you're well-grounded, come and learn. We want to love you in that way. And so that's Peter's love. And for all of us, we're called to go and love in our own way. And it may not be in the same way that Peter was, but as we're restored to Christ, it allows us to go and love others. The second fruit of restoration is, is Jesus' love. Um, Jesus lets us be his sheep. 
This is how Jesus loves us. This is the fruit of the restoration. When you look in these verses 15, 16, and 17, he says, feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Feed my lambs. We no longer belong to ourselves. We belong to a shepherd who is good, who is wonderful, who is loving, who is caring, who holds on to you, like Tim said this morning, a, a shepherd that will never give up on you, a shepherd that is faithful to you to the very end. Earlier in the book of John, in chapter 10, Jesus says this, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. This is what the shepherd does. The shepherd teaches us. The shepherd feeds us. The shepherd protects us. He tends us. He is such a good shepherd. And what we get through restoration is we get the shepherd. It's the best gift we could have. When I was growing up, um, my parents had a really rocky marriage. Uh, when, they, when we got to high school, they got divorced. And uh, it's kind of interesting because for me, divorce was probably one of the best things that happened. I don't know if that's biblical or not, but it's true. I mean, the marriage was just so horrible that when my parents split up, it, it was a good thing. And, um, and after that time, uh, I stopped talking to my dad because my dad had sinned against us. He had done some things that were really hurtful, that were really harmful, and I was just very bitter and angry towards him. I'm not going to go into what he did because that wouldn't be loving to him. But he did some things that, that I just couldn't shake. It would keep me awake at night crying because I was so upset. And so finally my frustration just sort of mounted and I sent out this email to all my brothers and sisters. Uh, I'm the youngest of five and I, I detailed sort of what dad did, his sin against us. And my dad replied to the email and he simply put this. He, he, he had become a Christian after they got divorced and he, he sent to me, this verse from Matthew 5, 46, he says, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Now, what I understood when I read that verse, I was immediately convicted to the core. Because what I just understood is that I was God's enemy. I was the one who betrayed Jesus. I had sinned against him, and he loved me. And if he would love me, how could I not love my dad who had sinned against me? And my dad and I, we have a restored relationship. And the best part of that isn't that I don't have this frustration and anger. The best part of that is that I get my dad back. I get him. When you're restored with Jesus, you get Jesus. That's the best part of it. So I'd encourage you, go and continue to be restored to Jesus. While our love towards him is imperfect and flawed, his love towards us is perfect and it's wonderful and it's glorious. And he offers you that restoration. And as you receive that restoration, could it be that you could go and be restored to someone who has offended you? You know, we, we, we said that it takes one for forgiveness and it takes two for restoration. Is there someone in your life who wants to be restored with you or maybe you don't know, but 
who wants to be restored with you, but you're just unwilling to forgive them. You're unwilling to be restored to him. Look at the example of Christ. Look what Christ has done towards you, offering his forgiveness and his restoration to you. Go and be restored to that person if they will let you. So we see that the foundation of restoration is is love, the fruit of restoration of love, and the finality of restoration is love. Basically, the end point, the, the, the thing that culminates with restoration is love. We see Peter's love here. It says, what happened... Um, It says, verse 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Now, this is not talking about just growing old, right? (laughs) It's not talking about, you know, when you're a teenager, you get to pick out your clothes, dress yourself. But when you're older, you're in a nursing home, and people dress you, and they push you where you don't want to go. It's not what it's talking about. Peter goes on, or excuse me, John goes on to explain what this verse means. He says in verse 19, This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. See, when Jesus was telling Peter that you will stretch out your hands, he was saying to him, you will stretch out your hands on a cross. He said, when you will not dress yourself he said you will be dressed in chains when you will be carried away to a place that you do not want to go that will be to your death and peter did that with great joy the amazing thing of this is that peter was an absolute coward just days before he denied even knowing jesus and yet what happens through christ's resurrection and his restoration is he becomes a bold witness for God. He becomes a rock, which is what Peter means, for the faith. And he faithfully proclaimed the word of God. It's, uh, it's a really interesting story, sort of what happens to Peter. Peter goes away and he plants this church in Antioch. He pastors there for a long time. And then he moves on to Rome where he continues to teach and to tend, to feed, and to take care of the flock. While he's there, a man comes to power in the Roman Empire named Nero. And Nero hates Christians with a passion. And his goal is to to wipe out the apostles. And so he takes Peter and he throws him into this dungeon. And for six months, Peter has no light. Uh, He's chained to a pole and he's tortured day and night. During that time, Peter actually continued to tell people about the goodness and the love and the mercy of God. And people came to faith in Christ while he was being beaten. But during that time, too, there was a great fire in Rome. And this fire burnt down, I think it's about a quarter of the city. But many speculate that Nero started it. But what Nero did is Nero blamed the Christians. He said the Christians had started it. And so it gave him freedom to start killing the Christians. And so he takes Peter's wife first, takes her out of this dungeon to go be killed. And as she's walking away, it's reported that what happens is Peter looks to her. And he rejoices because she's going home. And he says to her, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Remember what the Lord has done for you and for me. And then Peter himself is taken and he is crucified. And at his request, he's crucified upside down. Which, my guess is, horrible. But he did it because he felt like it was too much of an honor to be crucified in the same way his Savior was. And what Jesus says is the way that you will die 
will glorify God. It will honor God. It will point to the greatness and mercy of God. Look at it this way. Peter saw that the love and restoration of Jesus Christ was better than life itself. And he proclaimed it to everyone who was around. And many of the, many of the, the men that were beating him, that were hurting him, came to faith in Christ because he could point and show that knowing Jesus, being restored to Jesus, is better than even living to the next day. And so he glorified God through this. But then we also look at Jesus' love, the finality of Jesus' love. And so for Peter, the finality was that to the very end, Peter loved Jesus. But to the very end, Jesus also loved Peter. You know, you look at Peter and you would say, what would it be that would make this man die joyfully, die with so much love and gladness and hope? And what it was is that although Peter had denied Jesus, Jesus never denied Peter. And even at the cross, Jesus took Peter's sin upon himself and he died for it so that Peter might live, so that Peter might have restoration. And on the end day, when we should stand before God in judgment, here's what, here's what it says. This term judgment, or this term denies, is not used often, but in John, in Luke chapter 12, verse 8, it says, And I tell you, everyone, this is Peter talking, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. By God's grace, Peter had a second chance. Peter had denied Jesus, but Jesus returned and he said, Do you love me? And there was restoration. If you're here today, this is a second chance. Today is a blessing. It's a gift from God. Tomorrow is not promise to you if you have denied christ as your savior today is the day to say today i believe that jesus is my savior i acknowledge him today and jesus says i will acknowledge you before the father and so today i'd encourage you to know that the end result of christ's death is love that the end result of his restoration is love towards you love wins the day at the cross um, I, when I was in a fraternity house in college, I'll try to make it short. We had, uh, I'd just become a Christian, um, about a year or two before. And I was, I was fervent for the Lord. I, I loved Christ and I still do, but we had Bible studies going on. We had guys from training house coming. They would, they would hear the Bible and many of them said, we want to trust in Christ. And so I made up these little wire crosses for them and and made it on like a little uh, brown thread and gave it to each one of them and said, let this just remind you of how much Jesus loves you and cares for you. And I don't know why we did this, but somehow it came about that we decided that if we were going to betray Jesus, all right, this, these are my terms, it's not what we said then, but if we were going to do something that we knew we weren't supposed to do, that we would take our cross off and we would put it somewhere else, um, under our pillow or whatever, knowing that, we're deciding not to follow Christ at this point. And as I, and, and all of us did it, including me, at times would take our cross off because we wanted to pursue whatever the world had to offer, thinking that it would make us happy. But as I learn and grow in the knowledge of the love of Jesus and the restoration that he offers to me, I know that more and more he's allowing me not to take off my cross, but to bear it for him. 
because he loves me and he cares for me and he offers me this restoration. The foundation of restoration is love. The fruit of restoration of love. The finality of restoration is love. The the restoration that Christ offers to you and offers to me, really, it's worth dying for. Peter thought so. The other disciples thought so. And Christ himself thought so. Be restored today. Go to him. Do you love him? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you, God, that you, that you sent Jesus, that, that you raised him from the dead, that we might be restored, that we might have new life with him, that we might walk with him, God. We confess that we all mess up. We are all sinners. But by your grace and by your mercy, you offer us the second chance to say, Jesus, I have denied you, but I acknowledge you today. You are my Lord and you are my Savior, God. Thank you for the restoration that you give to us, the new life and the freedom that gives us to live for you, to cherish you, to worship you, to enjoy you for all eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.